study tonight out of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 13, worth more than gold. This chapter starts off saying it's the burden against Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. And so Babylon comes along uh, later on in the Bible and comes and attacks Jerusalem and destroys Jerusalem and takes everybody captive, Daniel and a whole bunch of other people captive. But this is long before that, during the time of Isaiah. Maybe not long before it, but before it. Uh, and I don't know exactly when in Isaiah's day, chapter 13. I don't know if its chapters are necessarily chronological, if he wrote them in that order or not. But uh, sometimes during Isaiah's time, uh, which again was several kings still before uh, Babylon comes through. And so it's a burden against Babylon. So God foreseeing the power that Babylon would become and the judgment against them, the burden against Babylon. And in Revelation, it talks about Babylon. Revelation talks about two cities. Revelation has constant um, comparison between these two cities, uh, one city, Babylon, the other city, the New Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, and then two women, a godly woman and an ungodly woman, uh, a godly woman and a harlot, lots of comparisons back and forth. And, and so Babylon here is, is not only prophetic about literal Babylon in its day, but also the end time spiritual Babylon, the Babylon force. And Babylon gets its name from the Tower of Babel that was uh, built in defiance against God, and God changed their languages uh, so they couldn't communicate and began babbling. And so Babylon... And so those three stages of Babylon, the original Tower of Babel, and then the nation of Babylon, and then Revelation, the last day spiritual Babylon, which is a mixture of the two, a bunch of Babel and mixed up confusion of teachings and doctrine, and used by Satan to uh, attack God's people. So verse 2, lift up a banner on high, on the high mountains, raise your voice to them, Wave your hand that they may enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger, those who rejoice in my exaltation. Okay, so again, here contrast. To lift up my banner on a high mountain. What mountain is this? Zion, Mount Zion, right? God's holy mountain. And probably no doubt the heavenly mountain that we see in Isaiah. He talks a lot about. Raise your voice up to them. Wave your hand that they may enter the gates of nobles. And we've seen uh, Isaiah talks about the gates, the gates of heaven, and entering into God's gates. I have commanded my sanctified ones, so again, those that have been set apart for God. So he's not talking about Babylon, he's talking about the contrast. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger. And so his mighty ones there are no doubt the ones that do his bidding, no doubt his heavenly angels that he has sanctified, that he has set apart, that he has set aside to do his mighty last day work. And Revelation talks about angels also, good angels, God's angels, heavenly angels, and fallen angels that were once in heaven were cast down. And so a contrast there as well. So here he's talking about his mighty ones that have been set aside for his anger, those who rejoice in my exaltation. God being exalted and the angels there praising him giving honor and glory to him. Verse 4, 
the noise of a multitude in the mountains, like many people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts musters the army for battle, and they come from a far country, from the ends of the heaven, the Lord and his weapons of indignation to destroy the whole land. And so here in these verses, we're seeing this battle between these two sides. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, or mountains, mountains of this earth, right? So not the Zion mountains, like many people, multitude of people, Babylon, all the world follows after the beast, wanders after the beast, multitudes, noise of kingdoms of nations gathered together, they're gathering together against God, as Babylon did, and the last day, Babylon, Revelation talks about, they're gathering together against God, and then the Lord of hosts musters his army for battle, so what battle is this? This is the Battle of Armageddon, right? What does Armageddon mean? What does Armageddon mean? Right? We were there, remember? What does Armageddon mean? What? Not valley. Har is mountain. There is no valley of Megiddo. I'm sorry, there is no mountain of Megiddo. There's a valley of Megiddo. And in the valley of Megiddo, there is a city built up on a city, upon a city, upon a city, upon a city, about... I forget, 20, 30, 40 uh, occupations of this one spot. That, and every time the uh, nation came through and destroyed, goes all the way back before the Canaanites, comes through, destroys the one before it, they just build their city on top of the other ruins. And so now there's this little hill, it's called a tell, an excavation uh, site. Solomon built a city there, uh, and again, many others. Uh, and some of the walls and gates of Solomon's time there is still there. He had it as a fortress. And the reason so many people wanted that site is because this valley, Jezreel Valley connects in with it. And so anyone coming from the north and coming down towards, let's say, Egypt or, for trade uh, or whatever, they would come through this valley. So if you wanted to set up a toll booth, this was the spot to do it. <laughs> they could make a lot of money there. Uh, but not only making money off a toll booth, but if you wanted to protect your assets, either north or south of there, you needed a fortress there. That was the spot. It was narrow, and it was easy to defend, uh, or somewhat easy, because it was, again, a good spot. And there was a, there's a spring there. The spring is still there. The spring is just outside the, right, the base, and they tunneled, amazing, they tunneled from the spring into the center of the city and dug a big channel going way, way, way down, and a staircase going down to that um, to the water that is coming from the spring and running into that, uh, right underneath that tunnel. So they can get water inside the city and the enemy not know that they have water inside or not know where their water source is, not be able to cut off their water supply. And so very strategic location, water right at the base of, uh, of uh, Mount Carmel. Uh, but there is no mountain of Megiddo. There's the valley of Megiddo. But it's called, in the Hebrew time, it specifically says in Revelation, Mountain of Megiddo. Because at that site, again, all these different nations occupied that site, so many battles took place there. Many battles took place there. Even some Israeli kings died there at that very site. So very strategic part, Josiah died there. And, um, uh, and so very, very strategic. And so this is going to be the mountain of battles, is what it's saying. 
the battle to end all battles, the top battle, the, the mountainous battle, the, the, again, the, the highest battle to take place, the last battle, and here it's being described in the book of Isaiah. Satan and his armies coming against God and his armies. And so the Lord of hosts musters the army for battle, the army of his mighty ones they just talked about. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven. Again, this is not human beings against human beings. This is God's heavenly angels coming into this battle. His mighty ones, his sanctified ones, from heaven they're coming with the Lord and his weapons of indignation for that last battle. God fights in that last battle for us. And he comes and he destroys to destroy the whole land. So God wins the battle and he destroys Babylon. As we've said, it's read over and over again in Isaiah, chapter after chapter after chapter. For several weeks now, we've been looking at these last day events just in the book of Isaiah, comparing it with Revelation and other places, and seeing the parallels. Um, but over and over again, he describes this destruction that takes place upon the wicked, God coming in his forces in this mountain of battle. Right, so God from his mountain, the noise of the multitude of mountains, like many people, tumultuous noises taking place. And while it's called that Mount Megiddo, again, there is no Mount Megiddo, so it can't be at that site because there is no Mount Megiddo in the Valley of Megiddo. It's just a term or phrase. The battle is not a little site that, uh, you know, I mean, it's so small, there's no way you can fit all the nations and armies of the world in there. Um, but it's symbolic. That site is symbolic. Like all of Revelation, that site is symbolic of that battle because whoever, again, wins that, that trade route gains control of the whole area. Crucial. Crucial. So whoever gained, wins in this last battle controls the universe. Yes, that's right. Whoever wins the battle for this planet rules the universe. And that's really what God put on the line in going into battle against Satan. Satan, all he had to lose was this little planet that he stole and his life. But God risked the universe. God would have lost the battle with him and the final battle with him. Yeshua would have lost the battle in his temptations or any time when he was here on this earth in, in his battle against the devil. If he would have yielded his sin any time, he would not have only lost this earth. He would have lost his throne and thus the entire universe. That's the price that was paid for each one of us. That's how valuable you are in God's sight. More than the whole universe. That's what he put on the line to win us back. So God's army from all from the ends of heaven come and fight with the Lord's weapons of indignation to destroy the whole land. So not just again one little valley, the whole land. Verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It comes as a destruction from the Almighty. Thus all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. They will be afraid. Pangs and sorrow will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. Their faces will be like flames. And when God comes, he comes in flaming fire. And the mighty power of the Lord. Verse 9, 
The day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. Pretty clear words. He comes and he destroys the wicked. He doesn't give them another three and a half years. He doesn't give them another seven years. He doesn't, you know, take them out to lunch at Taco Bell. He comes and he destroys the wicked. That's what he says. It's this last battle, this confrontation that takes place. It's the day of the Lord. Cruel. A fierce day of the Lord's anger. He lays the place desolate. He destroys. Desolate, destroy. We saw these words over and over again in Isaiah. Destroys the sinners from it. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light to shine. Thinking about the moon, uh, a whole lot of hubbaloo, about four blood moons and all like that going on recently. Uh, I wonder if those guys gave back uh, all the money they made on those books and everything to all those people who bought books. And, uh, and the, 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 the Shemitah, there's going to be this big crash. Well, we'll pass that as well. Anyone get their money back? This is God's final judgment day. Verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud, and I will lay low the haughty of the terrible. And God comes through, and he destroys. And in contrast, I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. That's how valuable God makes us valuable in his sight. What makes our value? Is it self-worth? Is our worth in ourselves? Is our worth in our abilities? Is our worth in our talents? Is our worth in our beauty? Is our worth in our green cash? Is our worth in our homes or our cars or anything we decorate ourselves with? Our worth is in God's righteousness. Our worth is in God's value he places upon us. And the value he places upon us is the price he paid for us. Right? If you're selling a car, you can think it's worth $10,000, but if no one will give you any more than $5,000, how much is that car worth? $5,000. That's all it's worth to other people. Again, you might think it's worth $10,000, so you get to keep it. You, bought it for, you can keep it for $10,000. If you don't want to sell it, no one else will buy it for $5,000. But the worth of something is the value that someone's willing to pay for it. And God counts each one of us so valuable that he paid his own self for us. The just for the unjust. The righteous one for the unrighteous one. Again, we're all sinners. All born sinners. And it's his death that pays the price for us. He was destroyed. He became desolate for us. He died the second death for us. 
and he was resurrected as well. But that's the price he paid. Willingly gave up all. Even if he never would have been resurrected, he would have still paid that price. He gave up himself, and again, he put heaven on the line for us. That's what he was willing to Campbell, in a sense, for us. And he won. And thus, he makes us more rare than fine gold. A righteous person, more rare than fine gold. Narrow and straight is the way that leads to heaven. Broad way is the way that leads to destruction. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go that path. Rare as fine gold. More valuable than a golden wedge from Ophir. God counts us precious in his sight. Valuable in his sight. And that's all that really matters. It doesn't matter what anyone else values us at. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of us. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself when you look in the mirror. What matters is what God says about you. And God says, you are precious and valuable to him. As valuable to him as he himself is. As valuable to him as all of the universe. Verse 13, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. It shall be as a, a hunted gazelle. Everyone who is found will be thrust through. Everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Again, the whole earth. I will shake the heavens and the earth. will move out of her place. Again, not just one little valley. The battle is for this earth. More than the earth. The battle is for the, the people of the earth. The Lord is coming to reclaim his property. Reclaim his possession. He created this earth and his children that are in it. Again, over and over again, it's described desolation, destruction, thrust through, captured, fall by the sword, every wicked dead. Verse 16, their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. They're not just armies in Megiddo. The whole earth. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. I will stir up the Medes against them who will not regard silver. I will not delight in gold. And will not delight in gold. Their bows will dash young men to pieces and they will have no pity on the fruitful of the womb. Again, the utter destruction. And of course, this is paralleling what the Medes and the Persians end up doing to the literal Babylon as well. Verse 19, Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation. And that's an interesting text. Because the literal city of Babylon has not been inhabited since it was destroyed. All the way to this day. It is like Sodom and Gomorrah in a sense that it's vacant and empty. 
But here he's also talking about the last day Babylon will be overthrown as Sodom and Gomorrah. God overthrew it. And what did God overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah with? Fire. And we read in, in Isaiah and in other places in the Bible that it's with fire that God will destroy this earth. Again, the parallels there. It will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what will happen to spiritual, worldly Babylon, the confusion of this world today. Say right is wrong and wrong is right. Now, this is an interesting parallel, and we're going to look into uh, uh, a couple other texts in the Bible that talk about last day events and this world becoming as Sodom and Gomorrah. No doubt they picked up on what Isaiah said. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 6, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to the destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. So he says the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of last days. Just like Isaiah just did. That Babylon would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Peter says the same thing. Sodom and Gomorrah is an example. And in the example that he gives, he says turn them into ashes. And again, we've read that over the last few weeks. The wicked will become like ashes under the soles of our feet, it says in Isaiah. And we read in Ezekiel, Satan himself will become ashes before our eyes on the face of the earth. And then Jude, Jude only has one chapter, so Jude, verse 7. Sodom and Gomorrah are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of what the final eternal fire is like. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah, is it still burning today? No. Did it burn? How fully did it burn? Completely. The stones, everything, ashes. And I've been to a site in Israel that I believe is the, where Sodom and Gomorrah was. And we pick it up, and it is ash. Everything there is ash. It's amazing. Israel, from top to bottom, is covered with brown dirt and rocks and boulders everywhere. You go to this site, surrounded with brown dirt and rocks and boulders. But in this site, it's just ash. Just ash. You touch it, and it just crumbles in your hand. Layers and layers of ash. Piled up layers and layers, like if you burned a phone book. Charred a phone book, put it in a you know real hot oven, and just have just 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 layers of ash. This is like layers of ash. You put your finger, you can write your name into the ash, touch it, it just crumbles like like talcum powder. And uh, I found two pieces of um, sulfur there, two little sulfur rocks, two different times, and uh, used a cigarette lighter from the the car, the van, and burned it. Got the, uh, the sulfur smell, the egg, rotten egg smell, and it just burned up right there. You just touch it, the whole thing lit up in flames. Um, just like the Bible said, destroyed with fire and flame, and so much so, it become to totally ashes. Stones, the rocks, everything burned up down to ashes. Like when God brought fire down on Mount Carmel with, uh, with Elijah. 
and burned up the stones, the offering, the stones, the water, the wood, everything, the earth around it, became burnt up and ashes. And so Sodom and Gomorrah is the example of eternal fire. Again, eternal fire is so hot, it burns everything eternally, destroys it eternally, once and forever, like, like it said in that other verse, that they shall not be, nor will it be settled from generation to generation. The punishment is eternal. The results are eternal. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and destroyed totally. Nothing left of it. Nothing left to even rebuild, even if they wanted to rebuild on. Couldn't even rebuild over. It's just, again, ash. Nothing to build, nothing to build with. Nothing. Eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of that. Not that the fires keep on burning and burning and burning. Because what would you need to keep a fire burning and burning and burning eternally? You need fuel. You'd need fuel, so you'd have to keep on putting sinners in there. You'd have to keep on soaking the flame. God's not going to do that. But the eternal result of the fire of God is that they would be, as Peter said, turned into ashes. And that's what God's going to do to the spiritual Babylon of this earth. The confusion that is in this world today, he's going to destroy it once and for all. And we can praise the Lord for that. He will get rid of it as he got rid of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we're living in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. The times of Sodom and Gomorrah have been revived Revive, uh, living in it all over again. And the worst part now is even professed Bible believers are participating in Sodom and Gomorrah and made it acceptable there. And old Sodom and Gomorrah was just a city down, you know, by the Dead Sea. Today, now, it's around the world. People of all different stripes are caught up into it. The confusion, Babylon of this world, confused world that we're living in, God's going to destroy it once and for all. And so all these are signs that we are very close to the last day. God calls us to be on his side. Again, there's a contrast, just two sides. God's side and Satan's side. God's side, the confusion of Babylon. Whose side do we want to be on? Whose side do we want to worship? Do we want to be with like, like the heavenly angels who worship him in his exaltation, that we praise him high and lifted up, that we are surrendered to him, that we love him, that we appreciate him, and we appreciate that he has made us more precious than gold, more valuable than anything else, more valuable than himself, that he paid the price for us, that he willingly sacrificed all, all eternity. He willingly sacrificed, if necessary, his eternal life so that we might have eternal life. Are we willing to sacrifice some hatred, some anger, hurt feelings, disappointments, some opportunities to manipulate our way ahead. We're willing to surrender the garbage of this world that's going to melt with fervent heat. 
trinkets of this world. We're willing to surrender all to God. We're willing to surrender our appetites. We're willing to surrender our wallet. We're willing to surrender our time. We're willing to surrender our lives, our thoughts, and our minds to Him. Allow Him to mold us and make us. Allow Him to be Lord. Allow Him to choose our destiny. Allow Him to choose our plans for us. Allow Him to choose what He allows us to manage for Him. Allow Him to guide and direct us. But we want to do our own way. We want to live in opposition to him. That's what it's going to come down to. We want to make up our own theories, our own confusion, but we want to follow God's clear word, his whole word, from beginning to end. We want to have a clear picture of God, not one who torments people and keeps them alive, making them fuel for hundreds of thousands of billions of years, but a loving God who loves his children and who comes to protect them from the destruction of the wicked, who comes and steps in in the midst of the war, who comes in to do battle for us, to deliver his children, as he did at the Red Sea, as he's done time and time again, he'll stop in step in that final war when Babylon is trying to kill his God's people God will come in with his mighty army come down from heaven to deliver us and set us free and even in his love for the wicked he'll not perpetuate their lives in pain he will destroy them desolate them utterly annihilate them once and for all as we pray tonight, let us solidify our choice on what side we want to be on. It's a daily choice. It's a moment-by-moment -moment choice. Every decision we make, every word that comes out of our mouth, every thought we decide to dwell upon, every song we allow to run through our head, every picture or scene we decide to view, whether in real life or on a screen, are choices we make. And with those choices, we are choosing whether we want to serve the Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who loved me with an everlasting love, or whether I want to choose to serve my carnal desires, my fleshly lusts, my selfish desires, my carnal nature. So as we pray, Encourage us to allow the Lord God to be the Lord of our lives. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful for your great love for us. We're thankful for the value you've placed upon us to each person in this world that will receive it and accept it. Lord, we want to choose to receive it and accept it now. We want to thank you for that value you placed upon us. We want to dwell and bask in God's worth, your worth that you have for us. And in adoration and in appreciation, we want to surrender all to you. We want to surrender our filthy, rusted junk 
garbage, self, and we want to receive your gold. We want to receive your light. We want to see, receive your value. We want to receive you into our hearts and minds. Thank you that you will destroy the wickedness of this earth and destroy it once and for all. Thankful that it will be destroyed from generation to generation. It will never raise its ugly head ever again. Thankful you're preparing a mansion for us, for us to dwell with you. Thank you that you've promised us eternal life. We want to receive that, experience that, and live in that. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.